can go ahead and have a seat as you uh, get settled in. We've got some special things that we're going to address right kind of at the front end of the message time today, and so we're going to get to that in just a moment, but I want to point you to God's Word as we get a starting, uh, sort of a starting point from Hebrews chapter 13. That's going to be one of several scriptures that we look at today, so feel free to keep your Bibles uh, open or your phones handy or however you're looking at God's Word today. Over these last few months, we have been preaching through a series called Rebuild. Uh, We're talking about experiencing the restoration of God Uh, And now we're actually getting really pretty wonderfully practical in some of the things that we are trusting the Lord to do as he is calling us to answer the question, what does he want us to do now? What is he trying to rebuild in us now? What are the things, as you think in any rebuilding project, what is he calling us to keep? What is he calling us to toss? What is he calling us to identify that could be changed? We trust him as the great architect We believe that Jesus is still very much in the process of building his church. And so I want to turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 13 and specific to verse 15. There's a whole lot of of things leading up to this particular passage where the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus who is outside the camp and then we should go outside the camp and Jesus who has suffered and we also endure certain sufferings and we see about the, the sanctification of his people through his own blood And then it says in verse 15, through him, that is Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That's precisely what we have been doing already this morning. And so we're so delighted that you're able to be with us In worship, those of you who are joining us online, we're delighted that you're able to gather with us as well, that we could seek the Lord together. But we've got kind of a special uh, treat that we can do right here at the front end. I would like to invite our worship leaders to come and join me up here on the platform. Now, this is a group of people uh, that we have asked to step into the, the planning and the leading. This is not everyone that is involved with our worship ministry, but those that would be leading us in to the presence of the Lord. And so we're going to take some time to commission them today. By way of kind of update from the church family while these guys are getting assembled. Look at this. They're so nicely balanced. This is, this is just great. Uh, yeah, it's a little practice. They did this in the first service already. Uh, We have been, in this year, uh, we have been on a staff search because we're looking to actually uh, add to our staff someone who will serve our church family in the area of worship. And uh, so we have a team that's been working on that. We've been looking at different resumes. We have not felt that the Lord has led us to the right person yet. And so we're going to continue to trust his timing as that unfolds. We'll invite you to really be prayerful for us in that journey. But as we continue to make plans and move forward, we're going to worship. We know that. We know that the Lord is calling us to do that. We have been in a process with our elder board to actually walk alongside certain leaders who have said, we are willing to serve the church in this way. And so these are people who are giving of their time and energy and using their gifts to lead us in both our our first service, which is more traditional, and our second service, which is more contemporary. So I would like to just introduce them to you today. I want to invite you to pray for them, and then we're actually going to commission them uh, before the Lord. We've never done this before. That's not quite true because we just did it like an hour ago. But (laughs) 
before this, this, this week, sort of a new venture for us, but we think this is an important thing. These are people that the Lord has gifted and called uh, to lead us into his presence, and so we want to stand with them in prayer as a church family as well. I'm going to invite our elders, if we have some elders that are here, to come on up and join us and just add in this prayer cover uh, for these folks. You can just sort of gather in behind them. While they're coming up, I also, I, I just, I got to draw attention to this again. I, I was noting in the first service this lovely backdrop that we have and the fact that Chad Oberholzer managed to almost match it perfectly today with his, his lighting and, and his color choices. I, I, I think it's really quite lovely. I think it's quite nice. That's how he rolls. That's why we pay him the big bucks. So let me introduce to you some folks, because you probably know some of these names, and you probably faces and names, and, and there's some that you maybe don't. So Dan and Haley Weiss are over here. They were actually helping lead us today uh, in worship. Chad and Kate Oberholzer are right here. Kate was also helping lead today. Chad and Sherry were helping lead in the first service today. So this is Sherry Hoyt, if you don't know her. Uh, Wes Miller. Wes Miller serves on our elder board and is one of our anchors in the first service. Amy Henning, she and I will be doing some worship leading together. In fact, next week we're going to be doing some worship leading together. Uh, we're part of this team as well. Um, Emily and Aiden Wirtz have been a wonderful part of this team, sort of stepping in. And Ali Chiavetta is a new member of this as well. So again, these are not all of the people that serve in the worship, but these are some of the folks that are giving leadership and leading us in, in those various ways. So we want to say, first of all, thank you to each of you. Can we say thank you to these guys for the work that they have done and are doing? And then what we'd like to do is just simply pray for you, just to pray the Lord's blessing over you, that he would really anoint you in this coming season, that we would have really rich times in his presence as we worship him together. So if that's your heart today, you can extend a hand of blessing in prayer, take a mental snapshot of some of these faces, and remember to pray for them as well. So let's pray, church, over this, uh, this team. So Lord, we are grateful today. Lord, what a gift. You have given us a gift of many, many places in our church family where people are using their gifts and talents and energy to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And so for that, we just pause and we say thank you. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the many expressions of, of servant leadership that we see all around us. And may that, may that increase. May that continue, Lord, as we move forward. May we be a church that that you just look at and say, man, that's, that's my, those are my kids, and I love them. I love what they're doing. And Lord, I, I pray that as we commission these leaders in this area today, uh, that they would really experience just a freshness in their own service, that their hearts would be revived, would be encouraged, Lord, that they would know that they are standing not alone, but rather with uh, many people who are with them. I, I pray, Lord, a blessing of interdependence over them as they both give and receive help from within the body of Christ and then most importantly from you. Lord, we pray a blessing of, of creativity over this group that as they are carried along by Jesus, you are the great conductor of worship. A Holy Spirit, you, you show us how to exalt Christ. And so I pray that you would bless these leaders with creativity as they lead us in these uh, pursuits. And Lord, I pray just a blessing of humility. Lord, that, that wherever we are gathered in worship, that we would have leaders whose faithful service would reflect the heart of Jesus. And Lord, it is for your glory. It is for your honor 
Uh, our desire is to see Jesus lifted up, and I know that is the heart of these people. And so as we commission them before you, Lord, we pray that you would use them, uh, maybe even beyond anything that they had asked or imagined, that you, they would be surprised at the things that you have in store for them, that we would be surprised at the encounters that we have with you in worship. Lord, I pray that you would increase our hunger. I pray that we would be hungry as we come after you. So we bless these friends now. We commission them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and look forward to you using them in beautiful ways. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Can we say thank you again to these friends? We love you. We're grateful for you. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for leading us. Now, go sit down and I'll, I'll do some preaching at you, okay? We're talking about worship today. So guys, this message is kind of for you, maybe first and foremost. So we'll see. As they are sitting down, let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten yourself in trouble by not knowing what you were doing? Raise a hand if you didn't know what you were doing and got yourself in trouble. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because we don't know what we're doing. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because we think we know what we are doing. Has anybody been there? I got this. I got it figured out. I can handle this. I was thinking about an experience that I had uh, the summer after my freshman year in college. I actually had a really good paying job. I was working at a plastics factory. It wasn't fun work, but it was, I, I learned a, a ton of stuff. I was an assistant, so my role was basically just to work with skilled workers, and we were working on big heavy presses and uh, you know, making big sheets of, of plastics and, and big, heavy, kind of durable things. Some of these things would go into army tanks and big elevators. I mean, it went all over the world. Some of these parts were very specialized. And so it was an interesting job. But one of the things that I noticed early on was that as an assistant, I was not qualified to drive the forklift. And I thought this was a bit of a problem because it was really inconvenient. Every time something needed to be moved, I had to go get like a qualified driver to move something from here to here. And so I finally got one of these guys and I said, look, I've driven tractors and other stuff before. Just show me the basics on this thing and I can move stuff for you and it'll, it'll probably help you out a whole lot. And, and he said, you know, this sounds like a smart idea. I'm going to follow the advice of this 19-year-old and... Uh, and so he taught me how to do it. And actually, I was sort of proud of myself that I was, you know, I was kind of the guy who knew how to drive the forklift. So I'd do it. I'd move stuff around. Ah, I got this, whatever. And so I did that for, for several weeks, actually. I had a, a really illustrious career as a forklift driver. Um, and, and one day, as I was moving some things back to the, the warehouse storage area, I was carrying like a pallet of things on a forklift, and I kind of bumped one of the other piles of things. And by piles of things, I mean pallets of thousands and thousands of pounds of materials worth tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, that went all the way up to the ceiling. And as soon as I bumped it, I watched it go like, this slow motion kind of sway. And it's amazing the thoughts that can happen in the very small amounts of time. I was wondering, when they fire me, are they going to just walk me out in front of everyone? Is it going to be like a, a public rebuke kind of thing? And I'm just watching this thing teeter. Like, and I'm like, I'm so fired. I'm so fired. As I'm driving the piece of equipment that I'm not supposed to be driving, doing stuff, and then it's going to be, it didn't fall. Woo. I shut the thing off. I got off, and I never drove it again. (laughs) Because I realized sometimes we get ourselves in trouble when we think we know what we're doing. 
I ask you that, uh, that question, I tell you that story today because I actually wonder in the area of worship if it is valid to ask the question, do we know what we are doing? Do we know what we're doing when we come in? I mean, if you were to ask 100 different Christians, you know, what do you think about when you come into worship or what does that mean to you? I think that you would probably get a wide variety of answers. Some of them would be biblically grounded and probably right and true. Some would probably be out there a little bit. And that is a part of the process of growing up in Christ is that we're learning all the time. But I think it's a valid question to ask, what are we doing when we worship? What is that all about? I mean, most of us have, have had some level of experience in the church. Many of us have grown up in the church. So you've come to services and you've sung songs, hymns, choruses, whatever, for years upon years. But I think at least every now and then, it would seem valid to stop and ask the question, do we know what we are doing? Do we know what this is all about? It seems, when you look at our scripture where we're starting today, Hebrews 13, that through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. It would seem that this is a non-negotiable, right? I mean, it would seem that this is something that God is saying, hey, we're rebuilding, we're developing. This is a big block thing. I do not think God is saying, no, let's, let's just get rid of, but perhaps to look at and say, do we know what we're doing? Today, I want to make the argument that the, the heart of true worship is so intertwined with the upper room of prayer that we talked about last week, that when you, when you take away worship from the upper room of prayer, you, you miss out on so much, but when you take away prayer from the experience of worship, you miss out on so much. The, the fact of the matter is that to be a Christian means that you are a person who has been given access to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's a fairly simple way of thinking about it, but you have been given access to Almighty God. Now, granted, Paul says that we see through a glass darkly, so there's elements of this relationship that we don't fully understand or fully apprehend, and yet you have been given access to the presence of God. This is significant. Let me do a quick rewind for you. Because last week as we were talking about rebuilding your upper room of prayer, the prayer life, the upper room is the place, this, this is where intimacy with Jesus is cultivated. And I was really encouraged because over this last week I've heard from many people from our own church family just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm I think the Lord is really stirring a hunger in me to go after rebuilding the upper room of prayer. And that in and of itself is an answer to prayer. You see, that in and of itself, the fact that God would stir a hunger in you or in me, that in and of itself is evidence of God working, and we should thank him for that. But I've heard from many of you who have been saying, you know, I want my ministry to really be anchored in prayer. I want my family to be really anchored in prayer. I really want our, our, uh, our work to really be anchored in prayer, etc. Uh, Fred Hartley, I gave you this quote last week. Fred Hartley says this, An upper room today is a gathering of praying Christians who encounter the manifest presence of Christ and his Holy Spirit. The beauty of that is that can be anywhere. That can be in a sanctuary. That can be in a home. That can be in a hot tub. Wink, wink. That can be anywhere. 
manifest presence of God found in prayer. So here's what we looked at last week. I'm going to just touch on it real quickly in case some of you were not with us. We were looking specifically at Acts chapter 1 and 2 and the experience of the upper room, the fact that they gathered, they were in one accord, they prayed continuously, though they couldn't pray before for more than one hour. Now we've got people that are really fueled by the power of the Spirit. They received from the Lord, and this is, this is important because if, if you're not receiving in prayer, the, the first couple things sort of start to seem like irrelevant, right? Well, we're gathering and we're praying, we're doing a gathering, we're praying, but we're receiving from the Lord even as we've already prayed this morning. Lord, we have needs. He knows our needs even better than we do. They receive from the Lord in the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And then as we touched on last week, and I said we were going to lean into this week, they ministered to the presence of the Lord, which is really kind of the, the underscore of what true worship is all about. Now, when I say this, let me, let me pause on this for a moment and take you to Acts chapter 2. There's an interesting thing. You know the story probably of what happens at Pentecost. So they're gathered in the upper room. They pray. Holy Spirit comes. Tongues of fire. They go out in ministry, and thousands of people are saved. But if you remember, there is a question that's being asked because the people are hearing the, the words being spoken and this manifestation of the Holy Spirit is that they are understanding the words in their own native tongues. You remember this? And so they're kind of confused by it and they're looking at this and saying, like, what, what's going on with these people? I want to make this argument to you today that as the people ministered to the presence of the Lord, that is what the strangers on the street were overhearing. It wasn't the preaching. The preaching would come later. Peter stands up and says, hey, look, these guys aren't drunk. You think that they've been drinking too much? It's 9 in the morning. Come on. They're not drunk. Let me tell you what's happening here. And he begins to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. He begins to talk about the finished work of Jesus and thousands of people. Their hearts are stirred. Why? Because God changes the atmosphere and people come to Christ. But the thing that they overheard when they said, we hear them telling in our own tongues, this is verse 11 to 13 of, of Acts chapter 2, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They overheard them ministering to the presence. This is when we come into the place of saying, God, you are so good. God, when I reflect on the work that you have done, the work of your hands, the ministry that you have done, so we begin to speak back to God the things that he's done. And we made this argument, this is the believer's highest calling. Before we go out and lead 3,000 people to Christ, before all of these other ministries happen, our highest calling is that we have the privilege of ministering to the presence of the Lord. We then saw last week that the atmosphere around the place was changed, the harvest that we just spoke of, because the presence of God changes the atmosphere in his people. The presence of God changes the atmosphere in the, in the community. This is where spiritual breakthrough happens. This is where spiritual hunger occurs. This is where spiritual renewal happens, and this is the way that Jesus built the first church. It was seekers of his presence who were changed in his presence, who ministered to his presence and went out on mission. Uh, just real quickly, uh, 
so that we're speaking the same language. Has this ever happened to you that you come into maybe a service or something in your home or whatever, but your heart is very hard, very calloused, maybe very cynical? Has anybody ever been? I mean, I, I was thinking about this, like, especially parents of little kids, like the process of getting to church on Sunday morning when you have little children is possibly like the least sanctified minutes of your week. You know, you're pulling your hair out, you're trying to get cats herded up and everything. I mean, I remember this especially. I grew up in a family of four kids and like my poor parents trying to get us all rounded up and making sure that everybody was doing the things that they were supposed to do. And so the stress of getting to church means that a lot of times you walk into church and you're already frazzled up to here. Am I right? Anybody say amen to that? Anybody feel a little bit of that this morning? The crazy thing is, and maybe it's not feeling frazzled, sometimes we feel cynical, we feel, uh, you know, I mean, literally, you, you, you walk in and you're feeling kind of like, I, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be with these people, I don't like this, Ugh. and your heart feels hardened. And then in the process of worship and community and the presence of the Lord, all of a sudden something starts to lift, and you feel like my own heart is changing. Has anybody experienced that? Okay, that's the kind of thing that when we say that the atmosphere changes, the atmosphere around a family, around a home, around my own heart or yours, around a community changes when the manifest presence of God is there. It's the way that Jesus built the first church. So here, here's what I want to do as we think about this notion of ministering to the presence today. Um, when you think about your role in Christ, I want to give you sort of a tool that I would guess most of you have not said recently, I think of myself in this way. And that tool is this, to see yourself as a priest. What kind of talk is this to an evangelical Protestant crowd? What has this guy, he's off the, he's off the rails. I want, you to, I want you to think about seeing yourself as a priest, and I want to look with you at sort of the biblical arc that actually runs really deep and has powerful significance for any of us that would say, I've grown up in the church, and I have no idea really what you're talking about when you talk about ministering to the presence of the Lord. I've been going to church for decades, but the reality is I don't even really know what you mean when you talk about worship in that way. For all of us who love Christ, to see yourself as a priest and to see what, what God's word has to say about that. I was listening to a message a couple years ago uh, from Billy Humphrey. Billy Humphrey is uh, he's, uh, one of the main people at the International House of Prayer, the IHOP without pancakes, right? Uh, International House of Prayer in Atlanta where they have actually had prayer and worship going on 24-7 nonstop since 2006. That is a long prayer meeting. Uh, but they've been kind of going after it, going after the presence of the Lord. So I was listening to this guy preach, hearing about kind of what they do and the way that they think. And he's talking about this notion of seeing yourself as a priest. And even as a pastor, I was like, eh, we'll see. So let me give you a couple thoughts. First of all, Genesis chapter 2, 
We see Adam and Eve, first ones in the garden, and though we could barely probably imagine their experience, because everything that we have seen is sort of tainted by the fall, right? They're seeing everything as it was originally intended, and included in that, they are connected with the heart of the Father. I mean, they're literally doing evening walks with God. So he walked with them in the cool of the evening. Some of these recent days that have been like, 94 and feels like 138. And then you get kind of to the, the cool of the evening and some breeze starts coming through and you kind of, oh, that's sort of nice. Like Adam and Eve walked with God in those moments of the day and enjoyed I mean, they had a relationship, a, a connection. They had access to the Father's heart. When I ask you to think of yourself through the lens of a priest, the priest was the one who would go into the holy place, into the holy of holies on rare occasions to make intercession for the people, to actually change the proximity to God. But Adam and Eve not only had a different proximity, I mean, they were full front row access. They, they were able to see the glory of God. They were able to have communion with him that later on, Moses, it was said of him, like, you can't see my face. Uh, you can't, you can't, we can't get that close. Not now. But Adam and Eve, they didn't really have that restriction. They, they walked with him. They knew him personally. There was unfettered access to the presence of God, the glory of God, the depths of the nature of God. There was relationship, there was communion, there was encounter. And so some theologians would say, you know, this is actually the first priesthood because they have the access to the Lord. But then when you start moving along the, the arc of Scripture, you see some interesting things. I, I actually want to spend some time with you today in Exodus chapter 19. Flip over to Exodus chapter 19, where now the, the Israelites, they've been enslaved for 400 years, and Moses led them out of slavery, they're out of Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land, and they've come to Mount Sinai, and this is what God is saying. When he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, brought you to myself, this is verse 4 of Exodus 19, now I will indeed, uh, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my command, uh, covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all of the earth is mine. And then note what is said in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 19. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this is, listen, this is before the, 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 the Levitical uh, priesthood has been set up. This is before Aaron has been established. Moses' brother Aaron has been established as kind of like the order of priests that will fall. Before any of that is done, God is saying to all of the people, I want you to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, if you read through Exodus chapter 19 and into Exodus chapter 20, a ton of stuff happens here. There is an incredible encounter, as God actually says through Moses and to the people, I want you to get yourselves ready because in three days, my presence is showing up. Like I, I'm, I'm showing up with, with thunder and fire, and I, I'm going to be here, so you need three days to get yourself ready for this, which they begin to do. And so it says, they told the words to the people, the Lord said to Moses, go, consecrate yourselves 
On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all of the people in the camp were trembling. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now listen, I haven't read this chapter for a little while. And as I was reading this, I was sort of struck by how much is happening. God has just said to them, I want to make you a kingdom of priests. And now my presence is here. They come out, and I want you to see what happens. First of all, the Ten Commandments are audibly stated to them. Did you know that that's how they were originally given? I mean, they were audibly, the people actually hear the voice of God stating the Ten Commandments. So that happens. Kind of a big deal. And then verse 18 says this of, of Exodus 20. So just follow with me on Exodus 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. I don't blame them, but that's where they were, right? And then they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. This is just a, this is a powerful moment. God has just said in the previous chapter, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I want you to have access to my presence where you will make intercession for the world and where you will glorify, you'll minister in my presence. You'll do all of those kind of things. That's my, my heart for you. But then when the presence comes and the people are assembled and they have the opportunity to step in, they become afraid and they say, we'll follow you, but we don't want to go there. We'll listen to what you say, Moses, but you be our priest, right? We'll stay over here where it feels just a little bit safer. And Moses says to them, look, don't fear. God has come to test you. That fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. But it says, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So what was God's heart? And where were God's people? This reality lasted throughout the duration of the Old Testament. It lasted through the Levitical priesthood, the establishment of the priestly order, the sacrificial system, all the way to the sacrifice of Christ, which if you read just a little bit more of Hebrews chapter 13, that's what he's talking about when he comes to verse 15 in saying, let us then through him continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And if you remember... This is, again, this is where, like, the arc of Scripture, I mean, it really starts to stand out. What happened when Jesus Christ came into our broken mess, now the, the, the high priest himself, now coming to be among us to allow access to God to happen? And what happened at the place of his crucifixion was that the temple curtain was torn in two. And I've preached on this a lot of times, but never in this context that in the idea of priesthood, when Jesus dies, the temple curtain is ripped open, therefore saying there is no more sacred space where you can't come. You're, in, you're being invited in to the presence of God in a very literal way. 
through the finished work of Jesus. That's kind of amazing. But if that wasn't amazing enough, let me just give you one last passage on this. 2 Peter chapter 2, which we've read this many times as well. Peter is an old man writing to now people on this side of the, the crucifixion, this side of the resurrection of Christ. And this is what he says to them. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is actually giving us here the template of what does it mean to minister to the presence of God. It is stating back to God the work that he has done. It is giving him praise for all that he is and all that he's done. This is your highest calling as a believer, that you can literally come into the place of saying, I did not have mercy before, and now I have received mercy. I used to walk in darkness. I didn't have any hope. I was lost. And God reached out to me in his care and in his kindness and his mercy. He put me in a firm place. He changed my eternal direction. When we say those things back to God, we're simply worshiping him for the greatness of what he has done. In Acts chapter 2, that's what was being overheard. And not only being overheard, they're hearing it in their own language because the Holy Spirit's doing some amazing things. And they're saying, what is this? It was hearts turned toward him. If that is helpful at all for you to be able to say, when I come into worship, I am called, highest calling, to be a priest. It doesn't matter if you're man or woman. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter really even what your age is. If you are called into worship, you are called to be a priest, to minister to the presence of God. And you can do that in your bed before you get up in the morning. You can do that in the shower. You can do that in church. You can do that in your car. You are a priest who ministers to the presence of God. If any of that is helpful to you, to look at that in the arc of Scripture, then let me ask you to consider just a couple of maybe points of application. Like, What, what would that actually mean? How does that, how does that like, bear fruit in my life? Here's one. Worship becomes the greatest privilege of the believer. So like there's a whole lot of things that I can pursue, a whole lot of things that I can do. There's a whole lot of things that I might be good at uh, or not good at. And yet God essentially says, if you get this, like if you, if you go after this, it's not like, 
if you get this, then it's easy all the time. I mean, it's going to be hard. It's going to be gritty. It's going to be tough. There's going to be times your faith is tested, all that stuff. But if you get this, you're going to actually endure because you are grounded in a spirit of worship that ministers to the presence of God. I remember hearing this from a friend of mine, David, who ministers in a, has ministered in an incredibly difficult area. And, and he said, the one thing that has kept us grounded when we're dealing with gang shootings and we're dealing with drug addiction, we're dealing with all of these things uh, in New York City, really, really gritty, really, really tough. But he said, it is the, the spirit of worship that keeps us grounded and anchored and energized and we keep moving forward. Because that's our highest priority. And you'll find you're able to do incredible things. David said it this way, the psalmist. He said, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek. David, who had lots of things going for him, he did a lot of things well. He screwed some things up too, but he had a lot of things going for him. And he said, one thing I ask from the Lord, this one thing do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. What's he talking about? He's talking about ministering to the presence. This is worship. Second thing. Not only worship becomes the greatest privilege, but worship advances our spiritual battle lines. I I think this is why you see so much discord around the area of worship in general. It's hard because the enemy goes after this because he knows that when we worship in unity and lift up the presence of God, the atmosphere changes and then he doesn't have the strongholds that he once had. So he goes after that. I'll, I'll give you just a quick illustration of this biblically. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, um, this is more, of a, like, it's more of like a literal interpretation, I guess, if you will. But Jehoshaphat is the king, and he's got these band of kings that have come together to attack Israel. And they literally say, like, we've surveyed the circumstance, and we are toast. I mean, we, we literally have no way to win this fight. We're outmatched. We're in big trouble And in that place of desperation, remember we said last week, sometimes desperation is not a bad place for us to pray because it leads us to pray a little bit differently. But in that place of desperation, they begin to cry out to the Lord, and the Lord answers them and says, I've got you. You're actually going to be okay, but here's your plan. I want you tomorrow to send out your worship people first. Literally, they do that. They send out the praise team to the front of the battle lines to worship Jesus. And I would be like, this is not good. Are any of them good at anything that we need them to do on the battle lines? No, they're going to sing. Oh, great. That's great. They do. And God changes the atmosphere. There's, a, there's, a, there's actually in the enemy lines, there's, there's confusion that causes them to attack one another and destroy one another. And all God's people did was worship. The next day they come out and there's their enemy just just obliterated before can you imagine they're probably like what did that praise band do you know they're obliterated now imagine that that god would come to the aid of his people who would win a victory without ever lifting up their sword to fight their enemy but they sought the presence of the lord they followed him in obedience so Apply that wherever it needs to be applied in your life, but worship does extend the battle lines, and we fight battles in a different way as Christ followers. 
Okay, number three. Uh, worship simply highlights the greatness of Christ. Highlights the greatness of Christ. Like, as we think about what does it mean to rebuild in the area of worship, I think this. If, if people were to come in to your church gathering who don't know Jesus, but they, they leave and they're saying, wow, you know, I mean, that, that group is, re- they play really well and they sing really beautifully and stuff. I don't think that's the win. You know, the win is when people come in and they see that, that we are committed to the greatness of Christ, like exalting him so that they might even come and, and oversee and say, wow, these people really believe in the worthiness of Christ to receive our best in worship. They, th- these people actually commit their lives in very kind of countercultural ways to follow hard after the things and the priorities of God. That's odd. But that's the message that we wor- the world needs to see. I mean, if it's just about, seriously, if it's just about music quality, almost every church I've been in does not have the music quality that I could find somewhere else. They're just worshiping different things. It's not about the pursuit of music quality. It's not about the pursuit of entertainment. In fact, uh, maybe I'll just say this real quickly. If you struggle with the corporate expression of worship, or you find yourself saying, as I've said many times, I don't really like that, or I don't really, it's not my style, it's not my preference, and everything else. All that that really indicates is that your personal level of worship needs to go way deeper. Because de- look, if you're looking for 15 minutes on a Sunday morning to be your one encounter with the Lord in the week that really kind of elevates you, you're missing out on a whole lot of other things. In fact, think about it this way. We're so spoiled, right? I mean, it's so easy to say, well, I don't really like that. I like this style, not that style, or whatever. We're so spoiled. I could literally listen to 100 hours of worship music of my choosing per week at the click of a button. There's there's so much at our disposal. God has given us so many opportunities to to meet with him. So just don't, don't, I guess my my encouragement would be that, that preference would not rule the day but the exaltation of Christ would rule the day. Paul said it this way. He said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, in worship, we we get to see all that God has done for us and we get to simply love him back. One of my favorite examples of this, and I'll close with this, is Luke chapter 10. Martha's getting mad because Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet of all of the things. There's work to be done. They got guests to entertain. There's things to clean up, whatever. And here's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And, you know, she gets... She gets worked up about it. She goes to Jesus. I mean, this is the great irony. I mean, I wonder about this. Like, how often in your life are you pressured away from the feet of Jesus and ministering to the presence of Christ and enjoying him by all of the things that are clamoring for your attention? And that's exactly what, what Martha's doing. He said, like, tell my sister to help. 
And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Isn't that awesome? How, how many, some of you are way too busy. Some of us are way too busy. We're scrambling, we're running, we're going. <sighs> effort, 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 effort. And you can kind of hear the voice of Jesus saying, few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen that which is better. And Jesus says, and I will not take that away from her. <laughs> That's kind of awesome too. He's like, How, why don't you back up? You could sit here too or you could go back to the kitchen, but don't take her away from me. I love that. So I think God wants us to worship. <laughs> I really do. I think that's a priority that, that doesn't go away. I think God would say as you're rebuilding, as you're redeveloping, worship and worship well. And if you see yourself as a priest and moving, having access to the presence of the Lord, then we may continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So let's try to do that. Let's grow in that. Okay, Worship team, help us grow in that. You guys, if you're ready to, to lead us. Jesus, we, um, we would really love to see you shape us in ways that reflect your heart, perhaps better than we have been reflecting you in the past. And I do not say that as an indictment of myself or anyone else, but just simply to say, God, we... We have an opportunity for you to step in and cause us to be the, the people that you want us to be. So I need to grow in that, and I'm pretty confident of that. We need to grow in that, and I'm pretty confident of that. And so, Jesus, we just welcome your leading. We welcome your direction. We welcome your correction. Lord, you might be just sort of, I, I just believe this is why the, the enemy does not want this. The enemy does not want average, ordinary people to suddenly say, wait a minute, I am a priest that has access to the presence of God? I am a priest that has access to the authority that he gives me in prayer as I combine the upper room with the altar of praise. That is the last thing the enemy wants. So Lord, we just pray special covering, special grace over us as we grow. That we would have the space by the power of your spirit to look just a little bit more like the priests and the priesthood that you want us to be. So help us, refresh us, lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we stand together, uh, I love this last song. It's a, great, um, it's a great tribute to our God. See how great Jesus is. So let's sing it out together as we uh, worship.